So I'm back to seeing movies. You are good. I am too. Yeah. I went to the theater twice last week. Oh yeah, I I went to the theater twice as and well. You'd, just, you'd seen nothing, so now you've been to a couple <laughs> movies. So I can't say I doubled it because yeah. it was nothing. But and one I did that you told me two. you nearly walked out of. <laughs> well, I didn't feel it was a movie. I, I don't walk out of movies because yeah. I like to see them through and I like to have an accurate picture sure. in order to offer my unique take. Well, this, we'll get though, into it. Uh, I, was not, yeah. I was not certain was a movie. Right. Okay. Uh, welcome to our podcast. <laughs> I'm Dan Hammer. I'm Josh Way. And uh, we see movies and talk about them. We might actually... Uh, return to the premise of the, of the show next week oh there's no might about it yeah the title is again relevant yeah it's yeah weird. i assume new listeners why, why do they call it that huh right. hmm, weird well and if they listen to the first couple episodes then it's all just nothing yeah else. just just log into the yahoo message boards join the conversation online check out our one tweet <laughs> a week except when i forget it like usually <laughs> the last couple weeks. every now and again i retweet it yeah. I've run out of cute things to add, so I just yeah. give you a retweet without comment. <laughs> sure. uh, yeah, but back to seeing movies. I'm seeing Clemency this week, and then I have a ticket for um, the rhythm section, but I'm not particularly oh. excited about that. It's just what's that? They one? don't have the show times for Thursday yet. It's Blake Lively, which is good. Oh, yes, but it's the one where she's like out for revenge or whatever. And... Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I so enjoyed her in what was that called? A simple favor. Uh, a simple favor. Yeah. Yeah. I f- I was kind of like surprised mm-hmm. at her presence and her abilities, and so yeah, I'll see was, this one. And she's the highlight; she's the reason to see it. But yeah. the movie itself just looks kind of bleak. And who else is in it? There's another name in that. Uh, Jude Law. And, yeah, I mean, um, he's a name. Sterling Q. McGillicuddy. What's his name? <laughs> What's his name? Sterling Brown. The one guy. Sterling from, uh... K. Brown. Yes. <laughs> Sterling Q. McGillicuddy. <laughs> yeah. You okay. knew who I was talking about. <laughs> I sure did. AMC just doesn't post their showtimes until the night before. I have to wait till Wednesday really? afternoon sometime to see the showtimes for Thursday for the next day. Yeah. Right is now that, they only is, have the two new movies are the only ones they have times up for. Is is that like their new week threshold, the Thursday? Because often if yeah. you know it's Friday, I can look ahead to Monday. Right. Yeah, Friday to Monday is pretty easy. And, you know, Friday obviously used to be the big release day, and then they nudged it to... Right. They did it to Friday at 7, the earliest. And now I'm when if, if the movie's big enough, if it's Star Wars or something, mm-hmm. they'll have them at 10 a.m. on Thursday. Right. I mean, it's like how Black Friday starts the day before Thanksgiving. Right, yeah. <laughs> now it's always Thursday, and now Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. But so I saw uh, uh, the same thing as you, so we can talk about it. And then I saw another oddity. What else did you see besides the one we're dancing around is the gentleman. We both right. saw the gentleman. Um, the oddity that I saw was Doolittle. Oh, that's right. Okay. So, oh, so we didn't talk about that on the show yet? No. Oh, wow. Okay. Because we certainly litigated it in uh I think we just messaged it. Yeah. And maybe we talked okay. about well, thinking about going. No, because last right. week, remember, I was going to go to it. Yes. That was our last wow. conversation. Right. Okay. So where do we start? You want to just launch into your Doolittle? I'll launch into Doolittle. And I've got a history, of course, with loving the original scene where he tosses the seal over the cliff. That's sure. classic. The greatest camp. scene in the history of cinema. Right. And so you'd think that they would want to give a nod to that in the remake, which, spoiler, they don't. 
And so this Doolittle is really an inexplicable film. This is from the people who brought you cats. They're not having a great few weeks. Um, <laughs> Robert Downey Jr., why in the world did he agree to do this? His characterization is so odd and inconsistent throughout. He plays Dr. Doolittle, who has been granted by the Queen this animal sanctuary where he can live with animals and be happy. And he had a wife who was an explorer, but she went off on following her heart and she died. And he is in such deep grief about this that he won't leave the animal sanctuary. And he just uh, gambles away his days playing chess with gorillas and having kind of a close group of animal counselors. And the queen now has fallen ill, unfortunately. And so some children... Um, for different purposes, have approached Dr. Doolittle and they somehow convince him to leave his house because they need his help talking to the animals so that they can get the queen some antidote for her illness. So they go on this journey and they meet the um, meet the deceased wife's father. There's old issues there between he and Doolittle. There's intrigue on the high seas. Um, I don't think I'm spoiling anything to Sounds let you know. Great so far. Yeah, let's let you know that they get the antidote and the queen mm-hmm. is saved. You uh-huh. know, and the and the crooked person who had wanted to see her dethroned um, is ousted. Oh, wow! So it's like a very simple plot that would be okay Sounds for like children's it could movie. Be fun. Yes, the the that that description was so much better than the screenplay because there's just odd moments and odd bits of dialogue celebrities voice some of the animals but you can't really tell who which animal is talking at any given time um do little you can't predict his behavior he speaks in whispers and paranoid grunts and he looks like rip van winkle when we meet him like he just is long hair and beard and completely disheveled um but then he gets a hair like a halfway haircut that's supposed to be funny um anyway antonio banderas is in it and jim broadbent and the voices are uh M- emma thompson and rami malik and john Cena and kumail uh Nanjiani. how do you say his last name i'm sorry Nanjiani, yeah. yeah and octavia spencer you know mm. great finds <laughs> craig robinson yeah. tom holland selena gomez <laughs> Marian i'm going wow. on and on like this should be a, a major property, and it was just so poorly done. There wasn't a moment of excitement or humor. Nothing was funny. It w- it was just a real, real thumbs down, bad time. Yikes. You know, this is uh, a passion project for Downey Jr., and uh, he's he's cashing his, you know, the goodwill he's got from the Avengers, and this is it. This is what he does. It, I mean, it is real bad. And I, I, that's not just me being vitriolic. Usually I, I'll find something to like in a truly bad movie. Like Cats, I enjoyed Cats. This was no, not Cats. It wasn't bad enough to be interesting. It didn't yeah. appall me enough to keep me from being bored. I'm looking at its box office being $91 million. How's that possible? Uh, who plays his wife? Kasia Smutniak. She's not really in it. She's like an animation. Because they do an animated prologue where she goes off to sea and she throws her ring into the air in a shipwreck. And luckily, Emma Thompson, the parrot, 
is in the middle of the sea and is able to grasp the ring and bring it back to Doolittle as a sign of her death. And that moment is handled so ineptly that it got a big laugh at what is supposed uh, to be the, the hero's trauma, big right. moment of, of trauma. Strange how they marketed it. If you've got Jim Broadbent, and they did show Antonio Banderas in the trailer briefly, mm-hmm. but why not show some of these faces and at least make it look Michael Sheen is in it? Right. Why not show some of these people and make it look like a big sweeping epic of, mm. you know, adventure and travel? It's just him and the CG animals in the trailer. Right. And you get no sense, I believe, from the trailer, really what the story is going to be about. I've got a boring back of my mind idea of what Dr. Doolittle is. Oh, this kind of eccentric person who talks to the animals, you know, yeah. it's so boring. You got to right. let people know what the story is going to be. And you might have enticed some yeah. people to go, is this for adults? No, it's too boring. Is it for kids? No, it's not colorful or interesting or funny. It's for nobody. Mm-hmm. So Cats remains a recommendation. Oh, Do yeah. Is a skip it. Doolittle is just real, real bad. It's totally a skip. It's totally skippable. You don't even want to watch it to see how bad it is. Shame. Yeah. Could have been so much worse if only they tried a little less. Right. <laughs> yeah. If they only had like just gone for it. It's really bad when when something with a budget that big is phoned in mm-hmm. and it ends up being a nothing movie. You'd at least like to see them swing and make something insane. Well, the animation was so rotten like you remember like BBC Narnia series from I don't know yeah, when I was a child, yeah. it's that level of animals oh, flying around with real people. Mm-hmm. And I hear that there's a, a, I think you mentioned there's a two dimensional animated opening and a lot of people say that they wish the whole movie was that because right. it was actually charming and mm-hmm. interesting. It was pretty, I mean, there was a moment of truth among any of the characters they're all live in fairy tale land. They speak to each other in platitudes. There, you can't connect with any of them. It's a shame. Not that this is a, a franchise that anybody necessarily cares about in the 21st century, but since all we're doing now is reviving intellectual property, anything's got a chance at being interesting and having new life breathed mm-hmm. into it. I guess this ain't it. The other movie I saw is definitely original and creative and different and probably a lot better than Doolittle, but I was a little bit, it had me scratching my head a little bit. It is called Weathering With You, which caused a little confusion when I <laughs> messaged you that I saw Weathering With You and you didn't and I was remember. like, well, when? Uh, yeah, so this is a, a Japanese animated film directed by uh, Makoto Shinkai, and he is a um, much acclaimed director. Uh, he had a movie just a couple of years ago called uh, Your Name, which was a big deal. I did not see it. Uh, the Garden of Words is another one of his films. Uh, and Voices of a Distant Star. So I don't ramble. I'm going to read the IMDb one sentence uh, mm-hmm. little boilerplate. A high school boy who has run away to Tokyo befriends a girl who appears to be able to manipulate the weather. Oh, <laughs> Tale of yeah. Golden Time. Yes. So yeah, this boy, he's like a street rat. He's trying to make it by himself in Tokyo and it's hard times. And he's really young. He's like high school aged. And, um, he runs into this girl and it turns out she is a sunshine girl. She can make the sun come out by praying. Hmm. So they decide to monetize this uh, skill of hers and they rent her out as a sunshine girl. 
uh, also relevant to this is the fact that uh, during the story, Tokyo is is being barraged by months and upon months of rain. Hmm. So it's, it's it never clears up. It's raining constantly. Um, and so people are desperate for a little sun. And so she make, they make a lot of money with her going and, you know, my kid wants to play in the park because she, she, she can make a small area clear up and, and be sunshiny for a little while. So should they go around and they do this for, for people? And then there's just all kinds of weird melodrama with, um, the authorities catching up to him as a runaway. There's a really forced, weird scene with a gun which doesn't make any sense except that it makes him like seem guilty of something later in the story and uh then it basically is just this very histrionic ending where these two these two high schoolers basically uh who choose through the convolutions of the plot they decide being together is more important than the well-being of tokyo and the rest of the planet and it's a very very like <laughs> ya kind of an ending i'm not going to say specifically what happens but it's imaginative the animation is bright but it's so weird and just uh i don't know if you're into it you're probably gonna love it if people liked your name or if they're into the you know japanese animation in general i bet they're gonna have a good time with it i just thought it was uh baffling the title is interesting from a translation standpoint because the play on words with weather, yeah, isn't that would that yeah. be unique to English? Uh, I I would think so. I wonder. I'd be interested to know what the um, see if I can find the original, what the original maybe, title is yeah. and how it literally translates. Yeah, so it's uh, Tenki no Ko in in Japanese, literally "child of weather." So there's some thought put. There's not a. Um, Although that may be a phrase that has a meaning, you know, culturally mm-hmm, in right. Japanese that we don't understand. So it looks like some thought was given to the English title. So someone thought about it. Yes. Good. Yes. That's all I care about. Yeah. So I'm being a little bit that I just have to be, you know, true about my subjective feelings on this one. A lot of people are very excited about it and it is definitely original and interesting and weird. And it sounds like it's a better time than Doolittle. But, um, you know, it's gonna. If it already appeals to someone, then I think they'll have a better time with it. Well, what's the what's the metaphor? Is, is it speaking to a greater reality? I, you know, it. I think it it squanders a chance to, because it it uh, basically. I'll get into spoilers here. If you don't want spoilers, skip ahead in a minute or whatever. I don't know who cares about this random movie that's probably already out of theaters. But uh, they find out that basically she's a sunshine girl and she can make the sun come out, but it's slowly turning her into. Uh, like a like a, a water person, like it's having this effect on her body, and ultimately they find out the rest of the legend of the Sunshine Girl is that she has to sacrifice herself to make the rain stop altogether. Mm-hmm. So she, they wake, you know, they're like on the run. They're staying in a hotel. Her little brother is with them, um, and then they wake up one morning and she's gone because she's given herself up uh, to the to the rain, and then the sun comes out and everything's nice. But then the boy, basically, he decides to go to the shrine where she first discovered she was a sunshine girl. And then he goes there and he, through some kind of uh, basically praying really hard, he goes up into the the weather system and finds her and brings her back. And then the rain starts. So basically, they choose to be together. And then Tokyo floods and is underwater. And they're Mm. living in barges and living in these stacked up cities because these two kids decided they had to be together. And that's supposed to be kind of romantic in the movie's perspective. So there's nothing in the whole thing about climate change. And I didn't want it to be. I don't want it to be heavy handed. But if you're going to make a movie about Tokyo being buried under floods, 
kids. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's at least an opportunity to resonate with things. And this movie goes in a different direction. It sounds um, like yeah. it. Yeah. It's interesting. A, a real puzzler. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I was not s sorry that I watched it, but I, I yeah, the, the, the teener romance angle of it made it a little silly. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, I couldn't take it very seriously and it made me laugh unintentionally a, a few <laughs> times, but uh, an interesting experience all told. Yeah, it sounds like they lost their security deposit at the hotel. She's like flooding every all the sure, time. Yeah, right. That's the main thing. Yeah, yeah. All right. So that's uh, that's enough on weathering for you, with you, at you. <laughs> Words are eluding me tonight. Um, I guess it's time to talk the gentleman. So yeah. here's my question about the gentleman. You were just lost. You were unmoored. You didn't really know what was going on. How? You, What's your Guy Ritchie experience? I guess none. Okay. Uh, so he's known, lately he's known for things like Aladdin. He, he's you know directed a couple of big budget things. That's the most recent thing he did was the Aladdin remake. Uh, oh, the Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr. He also did those. But he's originally, he started his career in I think the late 90s, early 2000s with uh, some some gangster movies, uh, you know, hard-bitten, really very, very, very UK, uh, thick accents and lots of intrigue mm -hmm. and, and boxing, you know, street boxing. Right. Uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, I think, was his first. And then he had a film called Snatch, which was also a kind of caper movie. So this is, decades later, a return to form where he's going back into the streets, you know, of London to to do this uh, gangster movie. I liked those or original movies when they came out. Uh, they were weird. They were edgy. They were, you know, vulgar and violent, but they had a, a style to them. So that's kind of the context for Guy Ritchie's coming back to do a gangster movie and we get The Gentleman. And a lot of people seem very excited about it. Uh, who wants to give the plot? I mean, I would. <laughs> I feel like I've made you do a lot of talking, but I have no idea what this movie is okay. about or what even happened. Right. I'll take a crack at it. I mostly followed. I got, I got a little lost as well, but, um, so here, I mean, I'll, okay. I want to criticize the movie as I'm giving the plot <laughs> summary, but I, I'll save that. No, I think that's uh, a great way to do it. Okay. Well then I, I'm going to say that the, the, um, the format of the movie, the, the gimmick of the movie already is maybe the biggest thing I don't like about it is that the entire story is one character telling the whole story to another character who experienced most of the events of the story. Uh, and they're just sitting around, you know, talking and then it cuts back and forth to them and then back to the story. And, and so it's, it's Hugh Grant as this kind of sleazy tabloid reporter. And he's telling uh, Charlie Hunnam, who is playing kind of the, the strongman bodyguard of Matthew McConaughey's drug lord. He's kind of telling him, I, I know what you've been up to and I've got all the goods on you guys and he's demanding $20 million. And the whole movie is him giving the background of, of what he knows and why he should get the money. Uh, and the thing that I just find absurd is that Charlie Hunnam would humor him that long and sit there listening to things. Hugh Grant, having a lot of fun, is playing a kind of repugnant person and uh, I don't understand why this hard-bitten gangster would humor him for that long and cook him a steak and, you know, allow him to weirdly flirt with him and stuff. So that already, I thought that, that I didn't like the framing of the movie. But the story that's being told is essentially that Matthew McConaughey's Mickey Pearson or or Mickey Piss, as they call him, his gangster name, uh, he has this huge underground marijuana 
business empire and uh marijuana is about to be legal in the uk and so he wants to sell it off before that happens and he's trying to convince uh another gangster uh played by jeremy strong named matthew uh wants to convince him to buy it so that he can be on top of the business when it goes legit and he can have the infrastructure that matthew mcconaughey has already created then it's just a lot of like weird movie intrigue from that point on with the group of YouTubers, a bunch of boxing hooligans uh, who make YouTube videos, who wander in and trash one of Matthew McConaughey's drug uh, growing facilities. And they're working for Colin Farrell, who is uh, a coach, their coach in the boxing area. And he's not a gangster, but he can sort of become one at a moment's notice. Uh, and he's kind of funny. He was one of the more enjoyable elements of the movie, although I just, I didn't really love any of the characters. Henry Golding is in the mix as oh. dry eye, a, uh, Chinese gangster who wants to edge and he wants to forcibly take over. His performance is not very good. His character is not very good. Um, Matthew McConaughey's wife is Michelle Dockery from, uh, Downton Abbey. And she runs this, uh, garage this car garage for rich people or gangsters or something and (laughs) (laughs) all this stuff is going on and essentially it's just a lot of mayhem and intrigue in that world with all those characters mixing it up until we get to the end and uh you know things happen and people walk away and others don't and uh i felt i personally felt like this movie was confusing and not worth the effort it took to follow it i felt like it was clunky it did not have that kind of youthful swagger that Richie's earlier movies had. And uh, I, I was entertained. There were some things that were awful and ridiculous, like what they do to um, Eddie Marsden's uh, character, big Dave involving a pig and a, right. a blackmail video. That was stupid. And when just, that was just like black mirror. That first yeah, episode right. that everyone thing, yeah. hated. Right. Yeah. I thought, oh, everyone really hated that episode. Let's include that same plot point in a movie. So a lot of elements. I don't know if it could have been. I think I liked it better than you did because I had a little more footing to start off with. I I knew the world I was going into, but I can't say that I really enjoyed it. No, I certainly didn't. I seriously, for a good two thirds of the movie, I thought that Hugh Grant was pitching a screenplay. Mm. Oh, then he literally was in (laughs) the end. Right to 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 Charlie Hunnam, who I th- yeah. guess was a film executive. I don't know, but then, <laughs> but then I see them like turning up in the descriptions as they're being depicted, and I was like, have they entered the world of fiction? Right. And and we already know that the lead character dies, you know. But then there are misdirects mm-hmm. around every turn, and then I realized, oh no, this is a mafia movie. I realized about two thirds of the way through. <laughs> Um, I liked Michelle Dockery for some reason. Mm-hmm. I, I I liked her her coldness and her coolness, even though she acts like no person has ever acted on Earth. Right. I I liked what she brought to the proceedings. I also liked Colin Farrell. He was the only um, character I felt any affection for. He didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Why he's a coach and why they all wear these plaid track suits? Like these are the people that Vicky Pollard would fight in in the <laughs> right. streets. Like it's that kind of thing. And Stick I wonder evils, right? Like if I'm in the UK, like whenever there's troubling youth 
on the streets like yeah. I see on Little Britain. I feel like maybe I don't have a context for that uh-huh. because that seemed to be most of the low-life kids that were there. I did not understand Hugh Grant's random gayness. I wish that they either would have punched that up a little bit or eliminated it because what it was just came off as creepy and strange. I liked a lot of the clothes. That was a good thing Mm -hmm. in the film. And I wonder if we might've just had the same screenplay, but just in a linear fashion, get rid of that aside with Grant and Hunnam, like just have an omniscient point of view, involve all of the same characters, do the story in a linear way. And I think I could have understood that better. I didn't understand what most of their words meant. They're like using stylized dialogue and I guess some Britishisms or Irishisms or who knows. I I just felt perplexed and bewildered. Like I was watching events unfold and I'm saying, I know these people are speaking English. I don't know what any of it means. And then the the Henry Golding stuff. In general, I felt like I, I don't care about movies being woke or not. Well, I don't care about that if it's good. You know what I mean? Like if it's good and entertaining, but I just felt like the sense of humor and the sense right. of honor, it was so like boorish and kind of outdated and a little clunky. It was like an embarrassing uncle of a movie. A lot of the dialogue was so hateful on that yeah. front, whether it was about race or sexuality um, or misogyny, like right. they're, they're copious use of the c word for no reason and an attempted rape in a scene where it was just like an action scene like it was you know like uh right with henry golding in the garage like that was just that's the expression of like toughness i guess in this movie It it didn't seem to go with his character yeah i think that this was trying to be an original take on familiar stuff and it's just not quite doesn't have enough new stuff to offer and it's not it doesn't go deep enough it's it's the structure was probably meant to give it like a pulp fictiony non-linear energy but it just killed the momentum of the story and then the the attitudes and the the conflicts with the characters just seemed i don't know it, it didn't seem organic or or i didn't care about it that's for sure yeah, well, Pulp Fiction is a masterclass in screenwriting and being able to mess with the timeline that way, creating, though, a new trajectory, a better arc for the story, yeah. where technically the lead characters in the real yeah. timeline die early on, but they make it to the end right. in this right. way. And that's so it's so good. And yeah. this was not that. To me, it was not that no. well thought out. You Little Women feel... is closer to that. Than right. This is. right, right. But I mean, Greta Gerwig did a better job bringing us back and forth. Yeah. You have to feel like somebody's at the helm and leading you through the storytelling. And I didn't get that sense at no. all. And it wouldn't have been, it would have been a, what, 40 minute movie had the events actually just played out. I feel like half or more than half is Hugh Grant, and um charlie hunnam talking about events yeah rehashing it yeah and this is a movie that still that thinks it's funny to talk about a character being sensitive about their ethnic identity or like just it that feels so 2000s in that way oh i know it was just becoming comfortable to joke about that kind of stuff in a movie or whatever and here we are in 2020 and it's still that's the basic joke in most of the scenes and, right. Uh, I, was like, eh, I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't offended. I was just tired. Yeah. It just made it seem old fashioned. Right. Yeah. So uh, 
people seem generally the critical consensus seems to be this isn't high drama or it's not very good but it's very entertaining and exciting and good to see guy Ritchie back i i don't know I, it didn't do it for me no i would have given an an f cinema score had i been mm. called upon to do so in the theater i did not feel like i was watching a film i felt like it was random oh. images being put up on a screen i had no clue what was happening throughout hated it <laughs> okay well there it is. It's on my list of worst of the year. Don't let me forget it. Wow. I won't. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm going to start a new list. I'm going to open up my little yeah. quick memos. Going to need a 2020. One of my uh, my two-star forgettables, like a half-baked, not good, uh, didn't do it for me. But for you, it's uh, it's so much more. Oh, no, it was immoral on a story and a filmmaking perspective. And Bold. it's Matthew McConaughey it's... in January. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Serenity was grand. I <laughs> Give me Serenity any time. But this is just to be impudent. This is just boldly offensive for no payoff. There was no idea at the center of it. I watched the trailer today, and I see that the climax is given away in the trailer. So, I mean, you don't know what you're watching when you're watching the trailer. But if you want to know what happens in the end, you know, just watch that. All right. Well, uh, there that is. Um, And uh, Dan, before we wrap up, do you have any awards catch up for us? Yeah, so uh, DGA um, went to Sam Mendes. So 1917 is looking pretty for the Oscar. And uh, no surprise, Roger Deakins won the Cinematographer's Award. Yeah. So we'll see who wins the Writers Guild. Uh, 1917 is against Parasite and Knives Out in the original category. It'll just be interesting because um, Quentin Tarantino is not eligible for that. So it doesn't really give us uh, an Oscar predictor um i think that greta gerwig will win the adapted um to me her only competition is for jojo rabbit yeah and i mean it's interesting that there are there are films that have won globe pga dga and lost oscar that would be la la land and brokeback mountain and saving private ryan and only la la land is in the modern era of the preferential ballot but the one who came in also had a good path to victory. Um, and it kind of had to do with the moment, too, where people were really excited to let Shakespeare in Love surpass the war epic that would always win. Um, Moonlight was the right movie uh, after Trump's inauguration. Suddenly the woes of two beautiful white people who had been hit with a controversy of racism didn't seem like the, the best thing. You know, the people were homophobic against Brokeback and Crash seemed so woke in 2005 or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so if there's any sort of urgency to push Parasite or JoJo through, I feel like those would be the only two that have the stats right now um, that could maybe make that happen. But 1917 looks like the the sure thing. Uh, how do you feel about a the Parasite TV show that I keep hearing about? I don't know. I I'm not very interested in it on yeah. just an idea. I do think that if you've got a visionary like um Bong who wants who has another idea and could right. bring something that captivating and intriguing yeah. into a series. Right. Uh, because boy, it could if Parasite could have extended itself into 10 episodes, let's say, what a series right. that would have been. Right. Yeah, true. I mean, I'm glad it was, was the film it is. 
there was or even still is a Snowpiercer series, which I don't know anything about. But that lend that's more of an that adventure high concept. Yeah, it lends itself to a series. This I'm wondering if it'll be Fargo style, where it's just stories inspired by that you know that type of world. I wouldn't really want to see more stories with those. Char- I kind of think that movie is perfect like it is. Right. But, yeah, I don't uh, want to expand the universe. All right. Um, well, Dan, I'm going to skadoot. But um, next week, why don't we tell people, maybe maybe they'll want to watch the movie and catch up with us. They'll want to catch us if they can. <laughs> I think we're going to talk about Steven Spielberg's 2002 movie, uh, Catch Me If You Can, next I'm, time. I'll hold I'm going to watch it, and we're going to talk right. about it. Cool. We've been Dan and Josh. This is our podcast. You can follow us both on Twitter and Letterboxd. Show is at Holds Up Pod on Twitter. The music, as ever, is by Jonah Rapino. And thanks a lot for stopping by. See you later. You feeling good, Dan? What do you mean? Like in general. You still going to oh. the gym? You oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Loving life. Yeah, my I'm living my best life. I wondered if I had said or done something that made you think that I wasn't. Oh no, <laughs> I'm worried about it. you. Didn't enjoy the gentleman as much as I expected you to. Let's have coffee and talk about this sometime. Yeah. <laughs>